0: Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for This Week in Photography is brought to you by Cashfly at dot com. This episode of TWIP is brought to you by FreshBooks, the easy online invoicing
1: service that gets you paid quickly and makes you look professional. Get started with a free package
0: at FreshBooks.com. That's FreshBooks.com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial, go to squarespace.com twip. This week on the show, is Nikon prepping for a mirrorless Pro camera? Are phone cameras the next copyright violators? And the discovery of one of the greatest street photographers of the 20th century after she was gone? All this and more on this week in photo number 185. Hey, everyone, welcome back to This Week in Photography. This is Alex Lindsay sitting in for Frederick, uh, who is uh, out today. Uh, and I'm here uh, with Ron Brinkman and Cell Arena. Hey, guys. Hey. Good, uh, good to be on again. It's been a long time since you and I've been on, Alex. The same I think time. The, it's, it's, it has been a long time since, since we've been on at the same time. Maybe like six months. I mean, it, it has. Yeah, quite a while. Both of us have been traveling like crazy, and, uh, and so that's yeah. left us. Uh, uh, a little, you know, we, we just, you know, we, we get emails every once in a while and that's, that's about it. So, um, <laughs> yep. so now where, where are you uh, calling in from, Sil?
2: From my house, Paso Robles, California, halfway between LA and San Francisco on the central coast.
0: Wow. I am we, so We got we the West Coast coverage. Are you right on the coast? Can you see the water?
2: No, we're like f- 25 miles inland. Mm. So, but I can see beautiful grapevines right outside my bedroom
0: window. Oh, yeah, so yeah, you know, it's it, it is great. I have to admit that it's very addicting. I think all of us are calling. We're we're spread out across the West Coast. So I'm up in I'm I'm a little north of San Francisco in Petaluma. Uh, Sill is in the middle, and then Ron is in Redondo Beach.
1: <laughs> I had to find a way.
0: To, I had to find a way to throw that in <laughs> uh, Hermosa Beach. Hermosa Beach. So we've we've got we've got San Francisco. Now 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 people north and south of us, all, of course, get upset because we always consider California kind of existing between L.A. and san francisco but doesn't it so we're, we're oh geez okay okay now i'm gonna move on so before we go any further though i want to make sure to uh thank one of our sponsors fresh books now I, I know that uh, FreshBooks is a new sponsor for us and uh for some of you it may be actually uh, a new uh, a new vendor you haven't heard about it ron right we talked about this a little earlier and yeah, we were talking before the show, and we always try to figure out who our sponsors are before we get on. And, and I was like, you know,
1: I keep hearing about this FreshBooks, and I didn't know what it was. And Alex was excited to tell me about it, and I said, well, why don't you save that for the show? So tell me about this. Alex.
0: Okay, so so anyway, so what FreshBooks is, I, I mean, I this would have been a gone send as I got started. So. I went sometimes for a month or two without invoicing people because I'm an artist. I don't, you know, I don't know how to format the stuff or I, or I just didn't get around to it. Uh, you know, I didn't know where that was and then I'd have to, you know, mail it or I'd have to email it to them and, and then I have to deal with who paid me and who hadn't and and it was just this, you know, and, and the big thing is, is it really isn't about how much money you make. It's it's when you make it. You know, cash flow is so important as you're starting to go down this path, you know path of whether you're an independent photographer or an artist. You know, being able to manage all of that is really difficult. And Freshbooks is an online invoicing service. And what it allows you to do is basically, you can quickly and easily create your own professional looking invoices. So you can upload your uh, your company logo, you can stick them in there, and you can send your clients PDFs, now you can manage all of this stuff online. The clients can even pay via PayPal or other electronic services if, you, uh, if that's what you use. Um, there's other things that you can do with FreshBooks. You can have automated late payment reminders. Uh, if you invoice by the hour, you can have time tracking that allows you to log hours and then consolidate your timesheets into one invoice. You can even send physical invoices if, if your uh, clients are a little old fashioned. Uh, it costs like a buck 39 an invoice or something like that unless if you do a whole bunch of them. Um, and, uh, and so it's just a great way to manage all of this stuff. Stuff so that you don't have to, and one of the cool things is that you can check out FreshBooks. Um, you know, for you can get use it for free for up to three clients. <laughs> I have to admit, when I got wow. started, in fact, until like a year or two ago, I, I had less than three clients all the time. Some of them were. Fairly big, but but I had less than three clients that I was really dealing with on a, on a regular basis, and so so the thing is, if you have less than three clients that you want to manage, you can actually use FreshBooks for free. Uh, if you want more, it's just a small subscription fee that you can that you can pay if you're going to start adding more uh, clients to that process. And so uh, so it's definitely something to uh, it's worth taking a minute to just set this up an account cool. and play with it. This,
1: it. this is I you know because I hate invoicing and <sighs> I, I hold. It's just, uh, it's just, uh, yeah. Anyway, and, and but what happens because I hate it so much, and I think everybody does this is you just it just sits around, and then and half the time you forget about it, or you know, two months later, or five months later, you're like, well, and then the I thing
0: never- is, is that is, is that then you invoice a client. I know now as I have lots of vendors, well, like one of the things that I'm looking at doing is trying to persuade all of our we have uh, probably deal with fifty or sixty different freelancers now, yep. within the you know for the Pixel Core for our production services, and so we deal with all of these. Uh, um, Independent and, and, and their invoices come in and they're a big mess and they're not formatted and they're, and you know, they, they don't keep track of them. And they invoice us three months after they did the work, which screws up all the, you know, it just mm-hmm. makes it really painful to manage for us. And so it, it, sometimes, you know, we, I've had clients where we, you know, when I was, as again, when I was freelancing, where we didn't invoice them for five months and they said, you know, we can't do that anymore. You know, like, yeah. like or they just didn't respond or they, yeah. or they took another five months to pay us. And so making it easy and something that's just, online and easy to do is just it's so key and if you right. and, and if this is up. yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> seriously I mean, you already sold me just because you know I, i'm so I, what i've been doing is i got you know a bunch of word files and i'll pull it out and i'll try to modify it for wherever the client is and it's just
0: <laughs> yeah it's just so so anyway so definitely check it out uh you know tell tell them that twip sent you uh wherever they asked for that i don't know where they asked for that and every day by the way freshbooks is giving away a free birthday cake to one of our uh, audience members. So it doesn't even have to be your birthday. You'll just get a birthday cake. I guess it'll just, you know, today will be your birthday. So every, uh, <laughs> every day, FreshBooks is giving away one of these birthday cakes. It'll, you don't have to pick it up. They'll send it to you in the mail. There's some service that they're working with to do that, So, which I'm sure is, you know, invoicing them electronically. Mm-hmm. So, um, so anyway, but uh, they're going to draw a name every day uh, for the entire month. So uh, definitely go to FreshBooks.com. Check it out. I, I just... Ugh, if you're, if you're getting started, if you're doing well, all, I mean, there. this is great for photographers. I mean, uh, yeah, it's, <laughs>
1: it's nice having a sponsor that directly relates to yeah. you know the uh, the photography market because you know any, anybody that's starting out as a photographer's got to deal with invoicing, so it's
0: yeah. hot. Yeah, so it's this is just a uh, you know the key to the operation. So check it out, FreshBooks.com. dot com. And uh, first story that we have here, uh, Nikon is rumored to announce a mirrorless pro camera. So. In the past, we've really seen these mirrorless cameras be something that's kind of semi-pro, uh, you know, and, and so on and so forth. But now it looks like Nikon is talking about ditching the mirror altogether, at least for some of their uh, uh, some of their pro cameras. Ron, do you think this is oh, a good I hope idea? This is true. I hope this is true. Yes, I think it's a good idea. I mean.
1: Okay, yeah, you know, to take a step back, right? what we're talking about here is is specifically uh, mirrorless but still interchangeable lens, typically what, what they call EVIL, uh, which stands for Electronic View, Viewfinder Interchangeable Lens, E-V-I-L. Uh,
0: and, you you know, know, I wouldn't there, have used that. I probably wouldn't have created that as my acronym. It, it
2: is kind I'd, of I'd say it backwards. Lens Interchangeable Viewfinder Electronic. Live! Yeah, yeah exactly. there you go. Because that's really what it is. It's like live view. Yeah, it's true.
1: Um, and so you know, we're starting to see these already from other manufacturers. Uh, the, the the most prevalent one is the micro four thirds kind of a scenario, which I'm I'm very interested in. Uh, Sony has their I can't remember what the acronym is, but it's their interchangeable lens format with with the mirrorless thing. But the two, but the big two. The uh, the Canon and the, and the Nikon's have not hit this market space yet, uh, and and I think everybody sort of felt like it was probably inevitable that they would get into it. Although you can certainly see reasons why they wouldn't want well, to. One of
0: the, one of the issues that a lot of people have that, that I've had with most of these mirrorless cameras is that the resolution is pretty noticeable. It's very hard to know whether I really have uh, sharp focus, and 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 I'm looking at a you know basically I'm looking at a video screen. Uh, to uh, you know, to to try to figure out what I'm what I'm framing, and th- you know, and that's what seems to bother most higher end photographers uh, to date. Yeah, and and it's I mean they do some tricks
1: to kind of try and help with that. There's there's a uh, sort of a magnify mode that'll let you look at a much closer version of uh, of your image. Mm-hmm. You can sort of take a one to one off the, the sensor and, and blow it up versus trying to show the whole thing. So you can you can kind of get around that. I mean, I admit it's not. It's never going to be as great an experience, at least not for a while. as, as what you get with a DSLR, where your eye is is really seeing the scene still. And I'm not, and I'm certainly not an advocate saying that these are necessarily better than a DSLR, but they have a lot of advantages. And for you know, for me, uh, one of the biggest ones is just the fact that they're going to be much more compact and, and carryable.
0: Still, do you think you do you see yourself moving to a uh, to a mirrorless system? <laughs>
2: Well, in a way, I already am because uh, for the last six or nine months, I've been using a Zacuto Z Finder bolted to the back or clipped onto the back of my Canon 5D Mark II because I ha- my eyes are crap. I'm an older guy. <laughs> and looking through the viewfinder and trying to focus manually, you know, critically at a wide app. I'm missing a lot. But what I found, one day I took my view, my, my Zacuto Z Finder and I put it on the back of the camera. And rather than shooting video, which is w- why I originally had it, I said, I wonder if I can focus off this through live view. And, oh, my God, not only can you focus, but with some of the lenses, like my new all-time favorite is Canon's 100mm macro, the, the, mm, great uh, the L with the IS in it and all of that. Yep, yep. Oh my love God, that! You can literally watch the focus like move across hairs on an on an eyebrow. It's unreal. So yeah, you know, I, I love the concept of being able to grab focus right off the sensor right. rather than through the pentaprism and the viewfinder. Um,
0: I do admit, like what, one of the things I like to do a lot with the. Fi- I'm also a. i fi- am also I think we're all 5D users. Um, are you using? Are using a 70? Right, Ron. Uh, no, I actually have an older an older one, but I've had a 5D uh, when I was working for a couple places.
2: We're we're, we're all shooting Canon, so you know yeah. what I mean. when I say focus is optional. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I have to admit, when you shoot with a Nikon, it, it just really feels it's it is much more snappy. You know, in in my yep. opinion, and I feel like I get I get better focus with it. Uh, I will I will say that uh, the. Um, the thing that i uh you know as i said the, the the pixelation has bothered me but when i use the live view and i haven't really thought of really attaching the Zakudo oh, to the, man.
2: you got to do that you got
0: to do it okay because because yeah. what i love is doing the 10x you know just yeah. you know yeah. when i'm sitting there when i'm doing video i just love pop 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 and and you know uh checking my vid, my uh my focus really quickly and then popping back out and it has made such a big difference and but, uh and I, yeah and I,
1: I i really think that there, you can definitely make the argument that eventually, once the sort of the the user interface, the human interface part of this gets better and a little more refined, that it will be a better focusing experience with an electronic viewfinder versus just straight through the through the lens kind of thing, because you'll be able to do this kind of zoom in stuff that your eyes can't do. Right, and uh, you know, so I I think it's going to get there. You know, the other thing I, I will kind of always sort of miss is you put the, the camera up to your head, and, and I think that's actually a stability thing sometimes. Yeah. So there's, there's there's reasons why it's not necessarily great yet, but overall, I suspect that you're going to see this become so much more common as they kind of work out some of the usability parts of it. And and for me, it's, you know, as, as far as traveling goes, I just got back from Nicaragua, and um, smaller, more totable cameras are uh, make me very
0: happy. Yeah, I, it was funny, I... I remember back probably 10 years ago when these Japanese tourists came to Alcatraz and I shot, I shot a product uh, called um, the Surface Toolkit, which is all like texture maps for visual effects artists. And I shot it all at Alcatraz and, uh, you know, all the grunge and beat up stuff. And, and so I was shooting there with, you know, my big cameras and sp- film cameras at the time. And uh, these crazy Japanese uh, tourists were holding the camera away from their their head and taking mm-hmm. pictures of stuff. And I was like, that is the goofiest thing I have ever seen. You know, that's never going to turn out. And, of course, you know, now, you know, mm-hmm. that's all I do. <laughs> it's like I Hold the camera away, except not, not with my DSLR, but my all the cameras. You kind of hold them away and you look at the LCD and, and, and fire away. But I do find that, that um, you know, I, 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 I am very comfortable looking at it. I always wonder whether that's going to be something that it's us that we've done this uh, in the past. And we're kind of used to putting the camera up to us because I know with video cameras, I barely ever do that at all. In fact, we take the, like the EX-1s that we shoot a lot of our video with, we take, we take the eyepiece off because mm-hmm. it just gets in the way. It keeps on bumping right. into us right. and bumping into things. We, we literally just remove it so that we can just uh, – because we just flop the – either it's connected to a big system or, it, or we're looking at the LCD, but we never look through the eyepiece. Well, uh, and I do think you know the, these, uh, some of these, these point-and-shoots now still
1: provide you with – you can either look at the big LCD on the back or they have still an eyepiece that's an right. electronic eyepiece. a handful. Uh, a few of them do, and and, and uh, none that I've really liked. You know, none of them that. Uh, when you look at the the Retina display on the on the new iPhones, and I don't think any of these camera manufacturers are using displays that are that density that level of density and that's really what you want is to get that extremely high quality video and both in the eyepiece and in the thing in the back and the eyepiece is nice in situations where you've got a lot of lighting coming in and you need to kind of shade your eyes so i I think we'll be able to see a system that is you know a camera that is doesn't have the the flip-up mirror and the pentaprism and all that kind of stuff it still gives a very good experience i suspect it's still
0: a few years away though right. So it'll be interesting to see. We'll we'll see how that turns out. Also in the news and here's an interesting one. The, the our smartphones and really our cameras becoming essentially handheld photocopiers this is from the New York Times so the idea is that it you know if you um, depending on how much of, the, of a book you might take pictures of uh, is a question of whether this is fair use uh, you know, taking is taking photos of all of this information uh, something that is um, you know should be determined as illegal I mean, we get into a lot of, you know we get into a lot of copyright where photographers are trying to protect their copyright but now we're talking about you know taking pictures with either your camera or with your uh, uh, with your uh, smartphone and and of course smartphones of course have a lot of I mean they're pretty powerful cameras and I have to admit that I probably use my iPhone as much as a note-taking device a visual note-taking device as I as I do with as a as a camera Mm -hmm. Uh, I think when I look through most of my photos like for instance if if someone gives me a business card every night when I'm at a conference I just take all the business cards out and I literally take photos of each one you know because I know that I'll lose the business card very quickly you know, and it's and it's not worthless yet because I don't have any other way to you know. Not everybody has bump, <laughs> you know, on their, on right. their iPhone and it doesn't work it, all the time. It just as a
1: side note, there's a cool iPhone app that will then ship that photo off, and and uh, some
0: really cheap labor will transcribe that into a contact list for you. I'll you know, I I, I have um, I've been looking at different ones, and I just haven't found one. I, part of me wants to just I just wanted to to do the OCR in the iPhone. I don't really want to have it connecting to something else and posting all that stuff. Um, but I don't know if it really yeah. makes sense, you know, it's, but the, uh, so, but I take pictures of everything. I mean, I take pictures, like a lot of times when I'm traveling, this, this, this starts to hit closer to home for publishers. If I'm traveling, I, uh, will often, uh, um, I'll often take pictures of books cause I can't, it's not the money. It's, it's literally the issue of, yeah, um, carrying it around I don't want car- to carry. I got to carry it around for another three countries. You know, if yep. I buy this big book right now, this big art book or whatever, because the only thing I buy now are picture books. Mm -hmm. You know, like if if it's got, if it's all text, it better come in a Kindle or Audible. You know, like I'm not, I'm not going to buy a book full of text anymore. You know, that's kind
1: of. So, I mean, but I, I, it's absolutely true that this stuff's happening. I've got a, a good friend who is not technical at all. Uh, but you know, she's got a smartphone with a decent camera on it, and she—I uh, use the word—steals. She goes into bookstores and and steals recipes.
0: You know, <laughs> well, that, that's it. So, so, the question is: We start using our cameras for all of these things, and and the question is: Is, is this a is this a copyright violation? Is this something that the industry is going to have to try to? catch up with us
1: i mean it is you know it's it clearly if somebody goes into a bookstore and takes a photo of the recipe page that is uh, you know that's got to be illegal in the sense of uh, violating
0: copyright yes my question is well, my question for first is why would you do that i mean you have epicurious <laughs> uh well, yeah, I mean, mostly, and this is it's an interesting
1: point. And I would say mostly because she's actually not that technical. She probably oh, no I see. I see. I see. Where to find some some of this kind of stuff? And you know, there's, I mean, in the in the cooking realm, there's the whole celebrity chef kind of right, piece right, too, where it's just like, oh, I want to cook the latest thing by whoever. I don't even know who these people are, but. Um, you know, so there, there is some of that, too. But, yeah, I mean, to answer the question, yeah, I'm sure it's illegal. Uh, is it preventable and is it, you know, is everybody going to keep doing it? Yeah. It goes to the bigger question of our copyright laws in general. And, you know, I think most of us as photographers find ourselves on both sides of that equation. You know, we we probably have done things that are at the very least in the gray part of the law for content we've acquired, and uh, but we've also got the situation of people taking our photos and using them.
0: So I don't know, there's no easy answer. Still, so, do you have an easy answer? We're looking for one. Uh,
2: <laughs> you know, I, I mean, here's the subliminal pitch. I, I had a book on Canon Speed Lighting published three weeks ago, and I thought, okay, somebody goes into BNN, whips open Speed Lighter's handbook, takes some snaps of a couple pages. You know, I, I got to say... It doesn't really bug me that somebody does that out of my book. Um, now, if they sat there and photographed all you know, 398 pages and then published them on the web, yeah, that's a different issue. But for personal use, for note-taking, I mean, what's the difference between taking a photograph of a recipe and sitting there with pencil and paper and writing exactly the entire recipe out word Got for life. word?
0: And the only argument is one's a lot faster.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know. I, so I don't know. I mean, I don't know where the bounds of you know the fair use under the various copyright laws are. Right. Um, and there's no doubt that copyright and intellectual property is going to continue to evolve as new media comes to the fore and as new ways to use it and share it and so on. Um, but I I don't think this is like um, you know Napster where you're taking an entire song and sharing it with your buddies. Um, you yeah. know, which when I read this on the New York Times, they were kind of making that connection. It's like, no, no, no. You know, one page out of a magazine, one page out of a book. That's
0: like that's I, like taking the first bar of a of a uh, of a song.
2: Yeah, I mean, what's the difference? I take screen grabs off my uh, computer screens all the time, and then I attach them to an email, and I email it to myself, and I have a filter where I collect all these visual notes. Right. You know, maybe the copyright ninja police are going to come and get me someday. I don't know, but um, I'm not sharing these things. I mean, they're just—it's a new way of electronic note taking, and I don't necessarily see that as being an affront to me as a content creator. If anything, they might go home and say, "Man, look at this book. We got—you know—we need the whole damn thing. We can't go photograph all 400 pages."
1: Well, and I think, I think that I, that's that's you know, the copyright holders need to be need to realize this and be smart, like like you are still knowing that. Ultimately, the, the people that take that picture probably weren't going to buy the book. And a certain number of them will come back and decide, you know, this book is worth buying because I keep referring to these pictures I've taken. And I, I think people just got to be sensible about it. And having these ridiculous and sort of over-enforced uh, laws is, is, is problematic.
2: Well, another, another radical way to look at it is why are books and bookstores not all shrink-wrapped and under lock and key? Right, you know, it's like take it to that extreme. B and N or most bookstores, it's like now they got coffee shops. They want you to hang out. They got couches. They got well, they, they to gotta do
0: something up. because I mean, you know, their their industry is is a, is a fading. You know, I mean, it's it's it, it's not something that a lot of people. I I I used to go into bookstores almost every day. I mean, that mm-hmm. used to be kind of something that I would do to relax every day at lunch. There was a bookstore in uh, Denver, Colorado called The Tattered Cover, which is. Three stories of book love. I mean it's just nice. it's it's just massive. You know, and and uh, but they I think that they've even got, you know, shrunk and moved and, and so on and so forth because it just doesn't make sense to have I mean, almost all the independent book resellers are, are gone have gone under. Borders is asking people for more time to pay them. You know, uh, Barnes and Noble's trying to figure this, this stuff out. The, the the bottom line is I think some of this comes from a publishing industry that is just losing track of of how to keep this going. You know, I think that, and I think that's generally as as we start moving down this path. The question is: I mean, content will always be king, but you know, what kind of king?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, and, I, and I think the, the, the scenario of taking photos out of a book is going to go away because the book is going to go away in the first place. And, mm-hmm. You know, and, and so then it becomes this: you what know, kind of DRM and, and
0: well, it gets, it, it, it gets back stuff. into the thing. I've, I decided as I entered 2011, I'm I'm not doing any more paper. Yeah, you yeah. know, like like I'm just not I'm not buying any more paper books. I just I just was like I don't I have my shop, and it mostly has to do with I decided that I have as much shelf space dedicated to books as I want to. That's that's what it comes <laughs> down to, is that so, I have. Yeah, I've made the decision that uh,
1: books have now transitioned from from being uh, the book themselves to just being uh, uh, artwork
0: on the wall, and so I'm going to keep buying them. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah and, and i just you know i uh, i just find myself uh, spending less and less time in front of them and decided i'm just not going to buy them so you know and, and people have heard me on other shows talk about this i mean it's just like to me it's you know if i'm if i want to read if i want fiction i you know i go i watch i go to movies you know and if i want to have like a long version of non-fiction then i listen to it on audible and if i if it has, its visual then i'll you know then i want to you know if if I, it's a technical manual i want it on kindle and sometimes i might think about uh, getting it on, um, uh, you know, print if it's a really nice picture book. But even then, I don't want to see it. I mean, now I, I find that, you know, you know, with the, I don't know if you uh, do. You guys have Apple TVs? No. The uh, do you have one? Run? Do you have the, no. the? So I got the new one. Actually, I bought the new one. I bought one of the new one, and then I bought two of the new ones <laughs> for, for both TVs. Mm-hmm. And the main reason is, as soon as my wife saw the picture sharing uh, stuff, and I'll talk about this a little bit later. You know, she just was like. Uh, you know, she, she wanted the picture sharing more than she wanted anything else. So, uh, you know, than than watching movies on it, you know? And so, so I, I, find that I just want to, I want everything to kind of go through my screens at this point. Anyway, so, uh, next story. Speaking of Apple, Apple, iPad, camera, photo booth, FaceTime, all going into, uh, are starting to pop up in iOS 4.3. Uh, so in the new software kit, uh, the, re- um, you know, released to, uh, developers this week, it includes app icons for a camera a uh, a photo booth app a FaceTime uh, video chat this is all for the iPad so is this something that we as photographers really care about I mean is this something that that makes a difference that the iPad is finally going to have cameras I mean it makes sense because it's this week in photography but does it make a difference for us uh, that we can um, that, that we're gonna be able to snap photos with our iPad run
1: Mm, the story bores me it bores you it's like yeah 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 this really belonged
0: in mac break <laughs> well no no, no no i mean it, it's it's you
1: know I, I just think it's so inevitable that cameras are going to be on everything and uh and all of these devices whatever you have it's just cameras are getting so cheap and the and the sense of capturing the moment with a camera and, and whatever else we use these cameras for is going to be so ubiquitous that well, well, it's a no
0: surprise as, as is, uh, here's the other question related to that though is, is as uh and I, we, we, we have to bring this up every once in a while, like every six months or every three months to check the, check the temperature, mm. uh, is um, does it make sense to get a point-and-shoot? Like you know, when when we look at where iPads are going and where most likely the next uh, you know iPhone will have a higher resolution camera. I mean, it'll have a you know probably have a twelve megapixel camera that that uh, you know also shoots seven twenty p video or maybe even ten eighty p video. And the question is, is that you know when we're talking about point and shoots, does it make sense to buy one anymore?
2: Well, you know, Alex, here, here's my view. I don't want more pixels. I want better pixels. Oh, yeah. yeah. So yeah, in that yeah. context, absolutely, a point-and-shoot makes more sense mm-hmm. to me than – I mean, if you saw the back I, – I have a droid, okay? If right. you saw the smudge on that lens, because it's always <laughs> riding around in the bottom of my pocket with, you know, who knows what. But, I mean, let's face it, at least in my world, a little itsy-bitsy, teensy-weensy camera, even though it's got a bajillion megapixels crammed into my phone – Um, you know, there's, I I don't know. It's, I, I still, as an old school photography guys, I went to college and I learned on a view camera a billion years ago, but I just have an issue with a chip that is the size of a fly's head. I mean, there's no depth of field. Everything is fully sharp. Um, so yeah, for me, there, there's room in my, in my world, uh, for a pocket camera. And, uh, it's not the one that's tied to my phone. I'm, I'm. I'm amazed at how little I actually use my phone camera
0: which funny is that for me, my phone camera is the one that's in my pocket all the time, so I take lots of pictures with it uh, you know I don't like how long it takes to come up I don't like how long it takes to take a photograph i don't like you know a lot of that stuff if i'm trying but if I'm trying to capture something at that moment, sometimes you get these great photos. I find for me if i'm buying a, a point and shoot it's a specialty camera, so it's not a camera that is um, necessarily a So like, for instance, for me, it's, you know, I have a Fuji, my carry around camera is a Fuji W3, which is a 3D camera. Uh, And I have Ricoh R10s because they do time lapse. you know, like, like, you know, and I do, you know, I have all the, all my point and shoots are all now connect. They're not all purpose uh, cameras. They're. I am taking them out for some specific reason, and oftentimes I have all of them with me at the same time, um, which it makes security much more interesting. Uh, Ronnie? <laughs> so I uh, I did something different. I just got back from
1: Nicaragua. Like I said, I went there over over uh, over the New Year's, just someplace new to go to, and and I did something I've not done in a long time on a vacation, which is I did not take a DSLR with me. I right. only took a point and shoot. And, wow, uh,
0: that is that's crazy
1: talk. Uh, it, it you know it was actually. I had a little bit of a, you know, a moment when I made that decision. It was just a little bit. Really, I'm going to do this, but I was kind of curious. You know, I, I wanted to kind of know what that felt like, and and if I was just going to be extraordinarily frustrated by not having it and, and you know this is i mean it was a quick trip and i didn't expect to see sort of shots of the lifetime going by like in some of the other trips i've been on and mm-hmm. i sort of knew what i was expecting so it was a good one to kind of test this theory out so you know i left i left my big camera at home and i just took my new uh canon s95 and uh i, yeah, I missed the dslr a few times but right. pretty rarely and and, you know, and i've started going through the photos. And I, I've been asking myself, you know, what, which one of these shots, you know, or what, what shots didn't I get, and which one of these shots would have been radically improved by having my DSLR with me. And and yeah, there's a few uh, where it would have been nice. There's definitely places where it's like, oh, I just, you know, I, I wasn't able to get the the speed I wanted. It, it's mostly getting getting a fast enough shutter for the light available is, is where I notice it. But. Right. You know, most most of the time it's not it's not an issue, and that's which is why I'm certainly willing to consider one of those interchangeable lens right. uh, cameras, smaller ones too. Right. So I don't know. It, it was a it was a nice little experience uh, overall, a nice little experiment, I
0: guess. And I'm not going to do it for everything, but I I know I could get away with it if I had to. Very interesting. So, uh, so anyway, that we'll we'll see how this uh, continues to go uh, as we as we talk about these tiny cameras. Uh, the uh, next story we have coming up uh, is is about a street photographer whose work was discovered a few days after her death. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, let's um, let's talk about our other sponsor, Squarespace.com, and uh, Squarespace. I think is another thing that I use um, a lot of, uh, and uh, so my uh, uh, you know my my website. Um, on Squarespace is uh, you know is uh, border sack uh, b o r d e r s a c dot com and I don't update it as often as I'd like, but I built it in like three or four hours on on Squarespace. And the other sites that that uh, both PixelCore.com and DVGarage.com are sitting on Squarespace as well. So um, and dvgarage has e commerce and all kinds of other stuff built into it. So does pixelcore. So you know one of the cool things about it is is whether you're doing a very simple. Blog like the one that I have, or whether you're doing, um, you know, uh, e-commerce blog or, or or blogs that require a lot more, you can do that inside of Squarespace. It's just a really easy way, um, you know, to get it to get it done. You know, you can build that stuff up. You can get started for free. Uh, you can update it from your from an iPhone app. So you can uh, you can use the Squarespace uh, iPhone app and actually update your Squarespace from there, which I've done, and it's uh, great. You don't need a credit card to get started. You can just try to build it, see if you can actually do it. It's WYSIWYG, you know? So the thing is, is that, you know, you, when you're sitting there building it all out, it's like, I like the way it looks, and which is dangerous to some degree with me because I sit there and I constantly was, you know, fiddle with things. <laughs> like, oh, that, that, that thing was a little bit... And so I don't have to ask anybody. Um, I don't have to do anything else. And so, uh, and I can sit there and tweak it. But a lot of times... Like I'm, we're, I'm working on a couple of websites for a restaurant and for a friend of mine who's an artist, and I want to build it in Squarespace specifically because I want to know that if they want to change something, they can. I'll set it up for them and kind of get them over the hump. Um, but if they want to change something, they can go do that. They don't need to call me again. You know, I'm just doing this as a favor. I don't want to be hung up with um, you know emails every three weeks of I want to add something or change something. I just want them to be able to do that. You know, and so, uh, but the UI will let them do that. It's optimized for beginners and CSS experts, so you can inject your own code, or you can uh, do it all. Uh, you know, with the WYSIWYGs. there's hundreds of design templates to choose from. Uh, it is very inclusive, so that you can you know you can actually import or export um, uh, to and from WordPress, Blogger, Movable Type, TypePad. So if you don't like it six months down the road, it doesn't mean you're locked in. Uh, you can do forums, photo galleries. Um, you can have forms built, Google Maps, Flickr, Twitter. You know, all these things are all built in, and you can see a lot of that of me toying with that on my little blog, uh, of me just adding this up. and all of that stuff's all like a drop down. Like I want to add this, boom! I didn't have to write any code; I just put in my my uh, credentials, and boom! I'm connected now. And so uh, it's really, really awesome. You definitely want to check it out. Go to squarespace.com/twip. Uh, once again, you don't need a credit card, um, and uh, but you can you know grab a template and start building, and, uh, and 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 just see if it's something that you want. I mean, again, this is very much like FreshBooks where i'm a photographer or i'm you know an artist and i don't want to think about like for my own personal blog i didn't want to think about that and for even for the company blogs uh, i didn't want to deal with a big web agency or whatever to put that stuff together and so we put we put that put those um, pieces together without any of that stuff so uh, again squarespace.com slash t w i p twit all right so here's our last uh our last story of the day um this is uh this is an interesting story um that uh is from issue from Chicago news, uh, the, uh, Vivian Mayers, uh, she, so she's a nanny evidently, or she was a nanny and then she retired. And, uh, she, t- she shot tens of thousands of medium format negatives, uh, before, um, uh, before she died. And it, it is a, um, she shot with a roll I mean, it's a med- all medium format. Some say she may be one of the top street photographers of the 20th century. Now what happened was, is that, uh, evidently John, uh, Maloof, I believe is, mm-hmm. uh, he, um, he grabbed this. Uh, uh, John Maloof grabbed a, um, bought it. I guess bought her stuff at some kind of uh, you know sale. It was some kind of um, um, you know piece auction. there auction for like a hundred bucks or two hundred bucks or something. It was like very very little. He opened the stuff up and you know I've done this. I don't know if you guys have done this. I have gone to um, there's a place called uh, Freight and Salvage in Berkeley, and oftentimes they have like whole boxes and boxes of. Uh, of negatives and you know i've gone down there and bought forty dollars or fifty dollars worth of boxes and and it's one of those things that um uh i uh you know i i use those as like examples or playing around with something or you know if, if you know it's just usually they're pretty simple stuff i mean every once in a while you buy someone some guys trip from japan or or something just interesting to do prints with and to, and to play around with or i used to do this i don't really do it much anymore but the um uh, so it 's not unusual to buy that stuff, but then he suddenly started going through these images and realized these images are really really, really good and so um, now he is putting them all together they 're working on a um, you know a tour of course and uh, and you know, he may be sitting on hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars' worth of images so you know of course the the question that comes up does he have the right to do this Zil?
2: absolutely absolutely I have to say when i first heard about this and doing a little, just a bit of research to prep for the show, um, I was I was stunned at how amazing Vivian's work is. Now, the headline is is really wrong. These photographs were not discovered days after her death. Um, the, the backstory, and I assume that you guys are going to link on the show site to the actual websites. I know I'm going to do a blog post about this on Pixelated, because I'm really not one that's really interested in street photography, but... I spent a couple of hours looking at her images. Um, so John is a relatively young guy in Chicago uh, researching for a book on the northwest side, goes to an auction, finds a box full of negatives, and realizes, okay, this is a subject area that relates to my book. And he buys this this tub or this box of box of negs, about 30,000 of them, um, and sits down after the auction. He bought it for 400 bucks. sits down after the auction, starts looking at him, and going, and he wasn't a photographer. He didn't he, – he was a – he's a young historian. He's writing about Chicago. right? And um, so he begins to look at this. And there's a great video on um, – go to VivianMeyerPhotography.com and, or just Google her name. And you'll go to uh, – and he keeps – he's been putting since – she died in April of 2009. And in May or June of 2009, John started posting images up on Blogspot, um and they are amazing images now it 's also an amazing story because this woman worked for decades as a nanny, and on her day off she would walk around Chicago with her Roly and shoot now there and there 's well over a hundred thousand frames that, that John apparently has plus Hundreds of rolls of undeveloped film. Now, let's hope that none of that film happens to be, you know, Kodachrome, because then we're really in trouble. (laughs) But it's kind of like, you know, Christmas present. Let's take this roll down. So he is literally, as a labor of love, um, going through, scanning these images, cataloging these images, looking for support, um, doing a documentary. And you know what? I absolutely, after looking at these images for a couple of hours, just the ones that he's posted, just a few hundred of them, um, I have to say, absolutely, she, she deserves to join the pantheon of, of mid-20th century American street photographers.
0: Now, here's the uh, only question that, that some people have brought up, I think, somewhere else, not in that article, but the fact that he found the photos, but he, he conveniently found her a couple of days after she died.
2: I don't know that that has anything really to, related to do with it. Uh-huh. Um, because she, the, the chain of custody, um, the negatives ended up at the auction house. Because they had been put into mini storage and Vivian apparently fell on very hard times late in her life. Right. And at, and this happens all the time. You, you know, People have a turn of fortune, stuff in mini storage, they can't afford to get it out of Hawk, they move on, whatever. And the mini storage people obviously are in the business to make a living. So after a certain amount of time, they are legally entitled to auction those things off to recoup the expenses for the storage. So now here's that's the question: Does
0: that? But does that? Does that bring up a copyright issue, though? Because of the, the way the copyright laws oftentimes work is whether you have the negative or not, you still own it as the photographer. I mean, you know, that's from a copyright perspective. Uh, does she have any errors? Is there? I mean, is, I, is there I don't. It appears she has to, none. So I, you yeah. know, I think that overall, I think that you know, that, that's the. I think the only loophole in this whole thing uh, is is the fact that that he figured out who she was. The only danger here is that he figured out who she was days after he had it for years and only figured out who she was days after she died
2: well he figured out who she was only because after spending a year going through i mean imagine a box of you know of negatives and he finally found the the name vivian meyer penciled on a little a little you know uh, one of those slips of paper that you fill out when you in the old days, drop your film off to be processed. Right, and so he googles her name and he finds out. Yeah, there's her obituary. I mean, I taken it all at face value. The, well, and the other thing
0: is, is that she she probably that was probably the first time her name showed up on the internet was her right. obituary. As, as the obituary, Bye. yeah,
1: it's a great story. I mean, I think it's, it's fascinating. I think it it speaks to you know preserving this bit of history and how many of these other great sets of photos are out there that, you know, I, I'd love to hear about people just sort of all making the effort to go out and acquire some of these old negatives and get them scanned in and uh, kept in digital form somewhere and shared. And it's, sure, not all of them are going to be, because I agree with you, so there's some, there's some really great
0: photos it's in here.
2: Stunning. It's stunning work. I was truly moved. And again, I'm not a guy who's interested in street photography.
0: Yeah. And by the way, I'm being devil a devil's advocate because I think that he totally has the right to... To do this, I think that it is fantastic that he's actually going through this. It's not like he fell on something that he's cashing in on. I mean, this is like four or five hours a day of work for the next 10 years. You know, to, to, yeah. he's carefully archiving everything, putting it all together. Um, and, you know, when you're gone, you're gone. And that's something that she said. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's kind of like when you're, you know, nothing lasts forever. And when we um, move on, we got to make room for other people. And so he's grabbing it. I, you know, I, I think that it's, I, I, I want to applaud him for, for, for doing that. Maybe we can get him on the show. You should. Cool. You should. Yeah.
2: And and funny. the other thing, he's a relatively young guy. I mean, yeah. it's yeah. truly intriguing. Um, the whole backstory on this. I mean, it, it it's like a Hollywood movie, but apparently it's all real.
0: Well, I I have to admit that there was. Um, I love candid shots. You know, I don't. I'm not a real big flash guy. I shoot. I shoot a ton of street photography. And um, uh, and. There's something about a lot of these photos. I know that there was a negative set that I that I picked up, you know, at Freight and Salvage in in Berkeley that was just fascinating. It was this guy's trip to Asia, and you know, it obviously happened in like the late '60s, and it was just this, you know, thirty. So, you know, I just thought it was crazy that 30 years later, I'm looking at these slides, and and it was just this this um, capture of you know of life that you know I just find fascinating of uh, someone who was. Re- not not nearly in her rank but real relatively good and just capturing what the world looked like to them uh that is just a fascinating thing. now of course this is gonna be a big boom for 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 uh, all these uh salvage places because <laughs> <laughs> everyone's gonna be go, go digging for gold so uh, so we'll see how that goes so hopefully w- w- um definitely we're gonna put uh show notes uh, this will be in the show notes so go check it out but um but definitely check out her work it's just stunning so, uh, so without further ado, we're going to move on to the questions of the uh, of the week. Uh, Ron, I'll let, or, uh, actually, Sil, this is this is a good one for you.
2: Yeah, this is like a nice slow pitch that I can take my time swinging <laughs> at. All right, so um, Todd Peppercorn from Kenosha, Wisconsin, says that he has a Canon XTI and a 430EX speedlight, and he wants to know where the best place to start understanding things like fill flash and other off-camera techniques would be. Well, Todd, I'm really happy to say that I spent virtually all of 2010 producing a book that was published three weeks ago called The Speedlighter's Handbook, and it's 400 pages of how to and why to on Canon speedlighting technique. Actually, 35% of the book is related to exactly buttons and dials on Canon, and the other 65% is applicable to any brand of small flash but we literally I start the book with how to look at light we talk about all the essential components of exposure and move through one light solutions two light solutions and then as a guy who's gained a little bit of notoriety for using 12 and 13 and 14 speed lights simultaneously we end up the book with some of those more radical approaches but um, also behind that is my site speedlighting.com so all of that's canon specific another great site for Generic Flash Info is Strobist. My friend David Hobby's got a lot of great info out there. And then um, my other good friend Zach Arias and uh, Joe McNally both produce great blogs that deal with small flash as well. But for Canon specific, hope you'll head to speedlighting.com. And that's spelled Canon's way. S-P-E-E-D-L-I-T-I-N-G. And if you have individual questions, you can email me and I'll answer them if I have the time, which I try to do. Yeah. So we threw, we threw, we throw, uh, It's such a slow, sweet. Thanks, guys. So I'm
0: going to speed it up a little bit and throw the next one. Uh, question number two to Ron. Great. Uh, this is Mr. Uh, Sai from Melbourne, Australia. Wants to know
1: suggestions for ways of backing up their photos while on the road and without having to bring a laptop or an iPad. And this is something that's uh, sort of near and dear to my heart too, because I'm always on a quest for not carrying as much crap around whenever I'm traveling. Uh, so in, in addition to not carrying a big DSLR, uh, one thing that I've kind of been looking into and I did on my last trip where I didn't bring the trip to Venezuela where I didn't bring a, a laptop with me. And I was gone for quite a while and really starting to get concerned about uh, do I, you know, how do I back this stuff up. And what I ended up doing was just bring a small hard drive, these little tiny hard drives that carry plenty of space. And just popping into Internet cafes. I, I, you bring out a small hard drive and a, and a card reader and just pop into an Internet cafe and make copies of your of your cards and just stuff them onto a hard drive. And for me, that's sort of the the best kind of a scenario because you can carry about as, as little as possible yet still have copies of your stuff. Um, you know, other than that, I mean, there's... The listener that asked this question links to a, a device they have that sort of has the capability of... Uh, being an intermediate, where you can just make copies directly from a disc, uh, from a from a card to a hard drive, and that'd be handy too. Uh, I, got, I I need to look into it. It's actually a little mini TV device, like a Western Digital TV device. He talks about.
0: There's also a, there's there's a, a company that I that I've been um, testing a little bit of. It's called the Next Two Video Pro. So this is a 500 gig high speed uh, backup storage, mm-hmm. and it's just designed to you just pop the your memory cards in. And, uh, and read them. So you can also connect these to the one that I have, you can actually connect to another drive. So you could like back up to more of a drive if you want to, if you want to make two copies. Um, and, uh, but it's, it basically allows you to, um, you know, have this little drive that that's connected, but you literally just kind of plug it in and it, and it backs it all up for you. So, um, you know, that's another, uh, how, how much
1: are those? You know, those things are still... That's about five
0: bucks. 500 bucks, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's just, you know, I, I can see the sense of it, but man, when I looked into it, it was just sort of like, you know... And I had one of those old... Uh, I think the model I had was called the Tripper, which was one of those integrated card readers plus hard drive. And it was a few right. hundred bucks back then. And, you know, now the hard drive is, I think it's a 20 gig or something.
0: Uh,
1: so quickly obsolete.
0: And, of course, and the, I, big, the big... The big uh the big difference for that, of course, is just the ability to uh, not have to go anywhere so you 're really out somewhere yeah and uh, and not have to um, you know uh, stop into a cyber cafe. there 's a lot of places that I shoot that i won 't see a cyber cafe for a couple of weeks right right yeah
1: so, so I, I think the, I think the ultimate solution that I would love to see is some really low cost device you know a a, a twenty dollar device or something that lets me plug. Uh, a card reader into one USB slot and a hard drive into another USB slot. And the whole thing plugs into my iPhone and that's where I control the, the back and forth. You
0: know, oh the, the man, now you're and talking. Just,
1: and it just feels like that's low hanging fruit that somebody is, it's got to come up with something like that. Yeah. And maybe a good little Kickstarter project or something.
0: Oh, definitely. Yes. So, so, how do you uh, do this on the road, or do you do you always have a computer with? You?
2: I, I'm not. I always have my computer. I'm not known for traveling light, um, <laughs> <laughs> in any way. But um, so let me. I have a question though, Ron. When you're when you're out and you know you're gonna you're on the road for an extended period of time, when you're copying those images off, mm-hmm. do you leave them on their card, or so that you then have redundant sets?
1: Yeah, or- generally. I mean, unless I'm I'm getting to the point where I'm running out of card space but that really doesn't happen too much anymore because cards are getting so cheap so yeah I will have redundant sets and then then you kind of know and then you know and you try to try to shove the hard drive into some location that's separate from where your extra cards are kept so if something does happen you still get a copy of it
2: checked luggage and then your carry on because I do the same thing on the road and then that's still why I carry my laptop because my MacBook Pro has USB and you know all the different flavors of firewire, and all my external drives have at least two i o different types of i o ports on them mm-hmm. because i'm uh, and that 's what concerns me about going ultra light, um, but if you 've got your cards, then I guess you're okay, but um, you know if if all of a sudden you drop your your little drive and all you know a rock flies up in that port, and now you can 't get the cable in there if you 've mm-hmm. only got that one port, so yeah i 'm still trout. You can ask the guys you know at, at u s Airways when they check my bags, they all come in at forty nine point nine 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 pounds <laughs> there 's a bunch of them, but i I carry a lot of gear, I carry redundant drives and like i say i o but I also you know don 't go off the grid for an extended period of time, and I could see if I were going to than I would be carrying. And do you carry, Ron, do you carry high high gigabyte cards? Or are you in the mindset, it's better to carry a whole no, bunch I'm, of I'm a, I'm
1: a high gigabyte card guy. I, you know, I've just sort of, I've talked to a lot of people in both sides of the equation. And I think, you know, as long as you're buying a decent brand name, they're going to be reliable. And and I talked to, actually, Bill Frakes, a really well-known photographer. Yeah. And, and, you know, his his take on it is the... The odds of something going wrong on the card while it 's sitting in the camera is much lower than the odds of me fumbling it while i 'm pulling it out and dropping it in the mud yeah and, no, it's
2: not it 's not that it 's that if a card actually just gets lost so yeah. if you 've got everything on one card or two cards for a three week trip right. by God, keep those cards in very yeah well,
1: well, and, and, which and, is why I want to back up somewhere else right. so. yeah. yeah
0: and for me I, I have a what, what I tend to do is i have I have these two little Western digital drives that I, uh, one is my aperture library and the other one is my vault. And so every night when I'm shooting, this is, I, I'm also not traveling light, so this is not answering this question, but, but I, you know, I, my aperture library is all on, the, on, on drive one and I, you know, bring all, my, whatever I shot that day it goes into that. And then at night, I just tell it to, you know, back up to vault. So now I have two drives and those drives, you know, sit in two different places. Um, I tend to color correct on the road a little bit, you know, like just clean things up a little bit. And I'll upload JPEG, the full res JPEGs. Uh, I usually don't, I can't upload the raw files. Uh, if they're really great photos, I'll, I'll do that as well. But I'll get them up onto the cloud, um, while I'm traveling. Uh, raw ones, as I said, if they're like the keepers, I'll upload, you know, I, I usually can't do more than a couple hundred, um, megs at a time, you know, where, I, you know, when I'm traveling. So it's getting easier, but like in Japan, I can put up whatever I want. So the, um, uh, but anyway, but the point is, is that I get those out. So while I'm traveling, if I lose them, at least I, my selects are in some way, shape or form are still in existence. Yeah. Um, and I keep the the two drives in two different bags. And usually when I'm, tra- when I'm literally, I keep one of them oftentimes on my body, <laughs> you know, cause like, I don't, you know, if someone took my laptop or my, or my phone or whatever, I'm getting more and more into this whole situation where the laptop keeps on getting smaller. Like I am testing 11 inch right now, 11 inch error. Mm-hmm. my laptop keeps on getting smaller and my hard drives that, that I take with me keep on getting bigger. And I'm yep. kind of like, now if someone took the laptop, there's only like apps on it. You know, I don't, you know there's nothing, I don't really right. keep anything nothing on the laptop anymore. Yeah. You I, know,
1: you know my, I, I, I do want to, I have a, my little sort of carry around hard drive is actually Samsung makes this thing that uses the 1.8 inch drives, like you get in the, the you know, the old big iPods, as opposed right. to the two and a half inch that you get in your laptops. So it's really small. Uh, and I think you can get them up to 500 gig. You can certainly get. A, I think I've got a 320, right. uh, and it's just just so much noticeably smaller than even the the Western Digital ones. But yep. they're really hard to find. Well, the Western
0: thing. the Western Digital ones I'm using are, are the 1.8s. They make a, they make a set that, that's like that as well. What well, did they? So they're yeah. like little pocket ones, and they're one terabyte. Yeah. Okay. They're not very fast. You know, like it's not. You're definitely not going to set. You're not going to edit video off of them. <laughs> you know? yeah. Uh, yeah. But but it, it is a, you know said so like when I'm backing up to the first drive, I usually stick it in there, and then I go have dinner. And then I come back and,
1: mm-hmm. and then,
0: and then overnight, let it, let it run. It's not going to set any speed records. So. so anyway, there's a whole, probably a whole podcast. Uh, it's probably a whole series on, on backup strategies. Uh, yep. So people keep on, we, I keep on getting these emails. People wanted me to start a podcast on storage. I'm just like, I don't really know. Hey. I don't know. I, I could do that for the first couple of weeks, but I just don't know after that. And, you know, how much can you say? But anyway, last question here um, uh, is from Melbourne, Australia, and it's Nint. Ninkasi. Now, if you put these questions up, you really should put your full name so we can make sure to give you proper props. But um, anyway, they want to know... Um, I'm sorry, that's the one that you just read. You were supposed to read number two. Yeah, I didn't like number two, so I just went to... <laughs> rapid. I see how it is. <laughs> I, throw, I threw you the fastball, and you, right. um, and you just let it go by and, and set me up. Yep. All right, so yep. Ian Armstrong from uh, Manchester, UK, says his wife, uh, he and his wife are expecting their first child this year, and he wants... To, to know the best lens for capturing a newborn. He says that his aging Nikon D70 doesn't perform well at high ISOs, So he's thinking of getting either a 50 millimeter 1.8 because it's fast and inexpensive or a 35 millimeter 1.8 DX because it's 50% more, which is 50% more in cost, but would give a greater field of view on his cropping body on his cropped body. So, um, I think I'm a pretty good one to answer that. I've, t- I've had two kids where I took a lot of photos. That's and, why well, I left that one. Yeah, for I see. You. I see how it is. So, uh, and and by the way, that, there's a whole industry there somewhere. I, I don't know what it is, but I I, re- I literally think that if I'm going to pay twenty thousand dollars to have a... Well, not me, but if my insurance company is going to pay twenty thousand dollars to have a have a baby at a hospital, they really should supply like a Canon Rebel with a uh, with a fast fifty <laughs> in my opinion. You know, like like this just comes. You know, this is like the the uh, we're really glad to have you package um, because a there is, uh, you, you just oh, you just gotta have those photos. Um, not while the baby's being born. I, I wouldn't shoot those because your wife will be really pissed. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but the um, but right afterwards, I mean, most of my fo- my my most of my taking pictures uh, when my two kids were born happened. Uh, you know, from about ten seconds to fifteen seconds after the after they were born um, for about the first fifteen or twenty minutes. And man, those are just classic photos. Now I shot those. The first one I shot with a Canon. Uh, 20D and a 1.8 50. So exactly what he's asking about here or not, except the Canon side of that. So crop sensor with a 50 millimeter 1.8. The second one I shot with a 5D and a 1.4 50. I do think that the 50, I mean uh, the 50 millimeter, I think the 35 millimeter DX will be wider than you want. You're going to want some classic photos and that's going to give you a lot of what happened in the scene, but you don't care about the scene. In fact, you don't want to see the scene. That's the big thing is that you don't want to, um, you don't, you don't really want to see the rest of the the room. You just want to see your baby. And so, um, and, and, and you oftentimes want to frame things so that you're avoiding other parts of, of, uh, of your wife and other parts of the room and you want everything to be out of focus. And and one point, and, and really, you know, uh, it just is a great, again, it's, it, this is a great way. I think all, almost everybody in my family now, uh, has a 50 fast 50, you know, at least a 1.8, uh, and, a and, um, and some kind of uh, DSLR, typically Canon. I think I have think a my, my, my Canon family, and, it, and when you look at the photos of our families, <laughs> you know, and I have I have six or five brothers and sisters, it just looks like a. I mean, it's just crazy how well everybody looks, and and and, and they're not all photographers, not my. My, my brother, one of my brothers is a photographer and my sister is a crazy good photographer. Um, so there, so there's a, uh, so they, um, so some of them are very classic, but even the other one, the other brother and sister that, that shoot a lot of stuff with other family, they're not photographers. That's not their business. They, they, but they, but the photos have gotten so much better. Um, so having a fast lens, you don't need to keep it always at 1.8 either. One of the things to do is if you're going to get this lens, make sure to, you know, experiment because what you're going to find is that. Even though you have low light conditions, you're going to find that you know the problem with 1.8 when you're as close as you're going to be to your baby when you're shooting is that you're going to have a, a field of view. I mean, a um, depth of field of like an inch, you know. And you're going to find that you really wished you were at 2.2 or 2.8, you know. You know, and and you you close that down just a little bit to get a little bit more depth of field. So experiment, play with that, uh, and play with the same distances that you're going to have there because um, a lot of times you want to. You know, it does create a great. Piece there, but it's that's something that you want to think about. Also, if you're using a a lens like this for this kind of photography, just remember that the only thing people are going to care about when you shoot your baby really is their eyes. So if their eyes are out of focus, that'll be it. (laughs) You know, it won't be a good photo. You won't want it. So um, generally, I mean, unless you're shooting like a crazy like artsy picture of their hands or their feet or whatever, but generally you want to make sure that the eyes are in focus. And so uh, make sure to focus. You know, get used to either pushing halfway down or setting one of the other. Uh, buttons so that you can focus and reframe just a little bit. You'll want to, but make sure to focus on their eyes. Uh, we've talked about that in past shows, um, but that will make the, the picture, even if it's all out of focus out of that, it'll still make it like a little magical baby picture. So, um, and uh, yeah, and then experiment with it while you're waiting. Oftentimes you'll have, um, not, with, not with my wife, but typically you'd have eight or 10 hours. Take fit photos while you're doing that and take a look and look at them to figure that out. With my wife, it's like an hour and a half. So it wasn't like an hour and a half, so it just, and it's pure terror so um, uh, but when you have the time in the room that you 're going to be in or roughly in the room, take pictures and figure out what lighting're um, uh, what lighting's going to work, so that you don 't have to think about that when things are actually moving because once they 're moving, you won 't have any time to think about it <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, and then finally, uh, you know make sure that when I, whatever you 're doing with your camera, and I, I know this is a bigger answer to a small question, but um, just remember that it 's more important to be with your Uh, wife while she's having the baby than take pictures so um (laughs) you know that's a you know right after that then take pictures because you know but uh but you know don't don't get too um distracted by that there's other things that are more important to deal with um than uh than taking pictures but make sure to get those photos and get them you know i i i I keep on feeling like because i've had such a great experience doing doing it twice i keep on telling my wife you know it's like i'm not gonna you know i need more practice we need to have more kids you got to understand we just have to have more kids and she's like can't you get somebody for that and i'm like no i don't i don't want to take pictures of other people's kids anyway so um so anyway that's uh that's it so now we're going to move on to the uh our picks of the week ron what's your pick of the week
1: i'm going to go ahead and, and pick uh my my new canon uh, s95 point and shoot uh oh, you got you know, the it's, s95 it's, yeah you know i was i carried the lx3 around for quite a while and i decided to go ahead and, and upgrade and i'm i'm very happy with it it's it shoots raw, it shoots very good pictures. I was surprised at how good the, how smart the flash is inside of it. and I don't use a lot of flash, but it's great for sort of fill flash kind of stuff and and you know it's it's very pocketable and uh, i I'm, I'm very happy with it so uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and recommend that i I know it's not anything brand new and, and it's been talked about before, but uh, at least it's something now that I can
0: personally endorse fantastic so what's your, uh, what's your pick? So
2: I get a lot of questions from new speed saying, what can I do? i got one flash, one camera. What can I do to make really great flash photos? And my answer is always get the flash off the top of your camera. So um, new site, OCF Gear, off-camera flash gear is what it stands for. OCFgear.com um, sells these really long ETL cords. And the cool thing about using it on a Canon camera uh, with a Canon speed light is you can move your speed light way off camera, but... Through the menu on the back of your camera, you can access the Speedlight, all the Speedlight controls. So it's a great site. They've got some info up there about how I use this cord. Because ultimately, when I got done with Speedlighter's Handbook, man, I was amazed at how many shoots I did for the book with this simple cord. I don't use radio triggers very often anymore because one flash off camera creates great light. So ocfgear.com.
0: That sounds fantastic. I, and I, I have to get better about it. I'm, gonna, I'm getting your book because I have to… Uh have to get over my, uh, my upset <laughs> around, uh, yes, around flashes. It. I, I kind of wrote flashes off a, a decade yeah. ago. I got to get, um, over that cause there are some photos that I just see that are just so gorgeous and I'm like, oh. and I realize that that's just a flash and I, but I, you know, I'm so into available light and I've gotten really good at that, but I, I know that my, in 2011, my, my big growth opportunity in photography is going to be doing more flash. So, so anyway, so I will, uh, I'm getting the book. I'll probably call yeah. you. I'll probably send you emails. Absolutely. I don't, I don't understand. Help. I don't understand. So, um, so anyway, we'll go from there. So my, uh, my pick, I, I, I kind of alluded to it uh, earlier in the show, but my pick is the Apple TV the 2, not the Apple TV 1. The Apple TV 2, uh, and the reason that I'm, you're probably wondering why I'm recommending an Apple product in you know, a photography show. Uh, it is an incredibly great way to view photos that you took with your digital camera. So um, it, we have, uh, it, let me just kind of lay it out. I have a, uh, I have two two TVs and I have two Apple TVs now for it. And one of the, and as I said earlier, the reason I got the second one was because my wife likes the display more than to display the photos, the, the family photos, uh, more than uh, than the than being able to watch movies on it or, or whatever. She just loves it to go. She just wants her Apple TV to go to sleep. And um, you know, most of us or not most of us. A lot of us have large TVs, uh, but but we've been a lot of us have been buying these like crazy. And I bought them, and I've gotten a bunch of them. Those crazy small little LCD things that will sync to you know your Flickr or whatever. Um, you can do all of that. So you can sync to a Mac account. You can sync to your I, to your iPhoto account. So what I can do is actually, if I set up my iPhoto to share, I have a so I have a media server in my in my back house it's connected to the whole network. And so all the, the Apple TVs and all my computers and everything else can see that server. And so if I, as I update the, what I, you know, my, uh, my picks uh, uh, that, that um, from stuff I've shot of my kids, I just simply update, you know, that, and, uh, or I can update it to the web and it starts showing up on all the TVs every time they go to sleep. And so, and, uh, the kids love it. My wife loves it. It's a great way to, and, and the the photos just on a, on a big screen TV, you know, they're much higher resolution. I have it on, I just have it simply set on Ken Burns. You know, it's not like <laughs> it's, you know, it's just doing like 10 second, um, push ins on all the, on all the stuff. And, and, and it's just, uh, it really has turned out to be a conversation piece as people come in and they suddenly see all these big photos and, and immediately when they see them on like a 46-inch LCD, they immediately go, oh, I need to get that. <laughs> you know, it's just I, I really, you know, because it's just a great way to kind of have it without doing a lot of extra stuff. And now, of course, my wife complains that, of course, I, I started scaling, going, you know, we could just get a bunch of cheap LCD monitors and then we could put a bunch of Apple TVs behind them and then we could have like six of them changing all the time. And she, was, she told me I was insane. So so I don't don't know if that's going to happen anytime soon, but, uh, uh, but the, um, but it's a great way to view your photos, uh, and a great way for people to just kind of see your photos and they look big. You'd never want to print them that big. Um, they're nice and big and they, and they just look gorgeous on the TVs. So check it out. Apple TV two, uh, the Apple TV one do not, do not get, I have two of them that are collecting dust, uh, and I now I'm using the Apple TV two every day. So it's, um, it's good stuff. So anyway, that's it. Um, cool. works better if you have it connected to ethernet i know they love airport but um it kind of doesn't work that well so mm-hmm. uh so you definitely want uh, to connect it via ethernet if you can anyway that's it uh ron where can people find you uh, i think best way is still just on twitter ron brinkman
1: r-o-n-b-r-i-n-k-m-a-n-n and uh still where can people find you
2: on Twitter, syl underscore arena. It's S-Y-L underscore A-R-E-N-A. And also speedlighting.com. Just remember to spell it cannonsway, dot com.
0: Great. Uh, and make sure to keep up with everything on, in the TWIP universe. Make sure to uh, go over to thisweekinphoto.com uh, where you'll find uh, the links uh, to our Facebook fan page, our Twitter page, all that stuff. You can ask questions that will end up on the show. It's lots of fun. So until, until later, it's time to take that lens cap off.
2: This Week in Photo is a PixelCore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. The show's content contributor is Eric Horton.